You're listening to Season 2 of Here and Queer, a documentary series produced for Liffey Sound FM about what it's like to come to Ireland as an LGBTQ adult. I'm your host, Keen Sullivan. This is Episode 10. On this episode, I speak with Nicole, who grew up in Virginia, America, and moved to Ireland during the COVID-19 pandemic. Nicole maps for me her discovery of her own sexuality and how that has changed over the years, how she found her tribe in the queer community here in Dublin, and how she's reacted to seeing the wave of homophobic and anti-trans rhetoric that's taking place in America right now. Hi, my name is Nicole Lee, and I am from Virginia, which is on the east coast of uh, the U.S., Thank you so much for joining me today, Nicole, and for taking the time to share your story. Uh, I have been to Virginia, um, but for people who haven't, what is it like or what was it like where you were in Virginia? Yeah, so it's actually one of those states that's pretty diverse depending on what part you're from. Um, So I was from Richmond, Virginia, which is the kind of capital city um, where I grew up in the suburbs of that. But then Mm -hmm. there's also like Washington, D.C., which is very... Um, liberal and then there's also a lot of rural Virginia which is more like farmland so it's and there's mountains and there's beach so it's a little bit of everything nice it's a swing state right yes it has been for most of my voting life okay um, which is uh terrifying and exciting and makes everybody want to vote which is important yes yes (laughs) yeah because I went to visit a family relative in Virginia and they said like the whole I voted for Obama I voted for Trump whatever stickers are are big there because it's yes. a certain state on people's front lawns on their cars on their clothing like it's it's very um visible i think okay. you, can, you can usually spot how someone votes uh, okay. dur- during the election season at least yeah is that like a fun game you can do like sit on the bench people watch and just guess who they vote for uh, i i guess it used to be more fun at an yeah. earlier time um i think honestly after the 2016 election it just became so much more uh, divisive like that's when mm. donald trump was elected and um it felt less fun and more uh scary fraud or whatever yeah. yeah yeah in terms of like your your heritage you know what were your parents from etc i really don't know um okay. i suspect probably irish and scottish but um that's just based on the conversations i've had with my grandparents which okay. they may suspect but we've we've tried to trace my family history a few times and really just gotten as far as um, Ocracoke Island, which is a small island off the coast of North Carolina, not very far from where I was born. Um, so yeah, I'd love to know. Like, I should probably do a DNA test sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, no, it's a question I get a lot here. Like, do I have Irish heritage? And I don't know. Ocracoke? That's it. That's a good name. <laughs> Imagine that's a, like an indigenous name. Originally. I think so. Yeah, I actually like... Since it's where I'm from, apparently I ought to like learn a bit more about the history. <laughs> um, so we were in a kind of in a suburban area. Yes, uh, suburbia, um, very much like a, a residential neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, which had a few, I guess, walkable places, but most of it's very much like you have a car and parked in front of your house, and then you you take that into the city or the town. What was school like for you? 
Yeah, so school was kind of what you would see on an American television show, I guess, in terms of prom and lockers and pep rallies and that stuff. Glee um, clubs? There were glee clubs. Okay. They were not as fabulous or popular as the show may. <laughs> Ryan Murphy may. might let us, lead us on to believe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went to a public uh, like state school system um, for my yeah for my high school, elementary, middle, and high school. I suppose in terms of your, you know, LGBTQ-ness, like what do you identify as? Uh, I identify as a lesbian. That's okay. um, within the past few years, though. Uh, for a long time, I identified as bisexual and then kind of had a re-evaluation. Uh, Rebrand. Rebrand, yes. <laughs> uh, so being bisexual, as you called yourself at the time, was that in school? Is that something that you knew about at the time? Were you comfortable with it then? Not really. So the thing that I did most in high school was color guard, which is like spinning flags with the marching band. It's okay. A, it's a big, it was a big part of my life for a few years. Okay. And a lot of the girls in my color guard squad identified as gay or bisexual or lesbian. And I thought they were really cool. Mm -hmm. And I often wished that I too was one of them, but I very much felt like I, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, like I was sad that I wasn't, but okay. I think I was just so indoctrinated in, um, you know, it, it wasn't something that I was exposed to, I guess, until then. And I thought I would know, you know, if I was gay, I would have already known that kind of thing. What's the um, what's the queer appeal of color guarding? <laughs> Great question. I think it's a uh, predominantly uh, women's sport, okay. um, but it's it's kind of, um, you know, it's not like cheerleading or something that's super girly. Uh, I mean, I, I would imagine in most like women's sports, you actually have a lot of queer uh, women mm -hmm. I just wasn't playing the field hockey or the basketball I was on color guard so color guard. that's where my queers were <laughs> waving the pride flags yeah, around <laughs> what other hobbies did you have um or what sort of music did you listen to yeah so music wise I think I was very much growing up during the like 90s pulp pop era mm -hmm. so um like Hanson and sync those kinds of mm -hmm. things um, I also listened to a lot of music with my dad. So he was more into like the Eagles, Bruce Springsteen, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, which was great. But yeah, when I had my, my headphones on, it was very much like Spice Girls, you know, that, yeah. that kind of thing that I would listen to as a teen that was available to me that nice. I knew of. Okay. And then in terms of hobbies, then music, color guarding, just being a teenager. Yeah, I mean, I was I was honestly very busy with the color guard because okay. it would be practiced like four nights a week. What? And we would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's it's like it's a very consuming thing. And then for every game, which would be on a Friday, we would be at the football game, and then we would have competitions on Saturday. Okay. So it, it took up a lot of time. Um, I also played the violin, but that wasn't really a personal hobby. That was something that was more pushed on to me to okay. do. And then once you start, like, you can't give it up because you bought the violin. Yeah, um. <laughs> So, like, I mean, aside for the obsession with color guarding now, but, like, you know, do you still have it? Like, Oh, I wish I did. I've moved around so much that I don't have any of the flags or the equipment. But if someone were to hand me a flag, like, perhaps for the Pride Parade, and it was weighted appropriately, I would never let go. I can do <laughs> so much tosses okay well that, like, that I, is a promise if I, people are listening <laughs> and they're putting in the pride parade they know what to do um okay so when did you start identifying as bisexual um when i was in college or would you rather just say lesbian you know well i definitely identified as bisexual for a long time okay, yeah. and it's like by visibility by erasure like mm -hmm. all of that stuff yeah. is really important to me and i think 
it was more of it was the more comfortable thing and and i had had very like special relationships with uh men that i had boys that i had dated mm. at that age so i think it felt like i don't know the easier label for a while but um yeah when i was 19 in college i had just kind of undeniable feelings for a girl in my class so i started talking about it with friends and i was really lucky at the time um, I had two mentors kind of in college with uh, different jobs that I worked on and both of them were queer. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I had a space to actually talk about it, which I think before I just didn't really feel like I had the space. Um, but yeah, I feel like it was still kind of a very private thing to me. It's something that like I would talk to close friends about or people that I was dating, but mm -hmm. it wasn't, I was not allowed. I still felt very much like an ally anytime I went to any sort of pride or yeah. queer event. Um, I wasn't very open or visible for a long time. But based on the sort of scene you set for us so far, especially with the color guarding girls, <laughs> you know, being queer, any version of the LGBTQ seemed fine in the world. There was no issue with it. Or is that was that not the case? No, there definitely was like within that protected environment, I think like the group of queer women within the color guard, it was a very safe space. Okay. But even on the outside of that, I think there was a lot of um, uh, just discomfort. Mm -hmm. I think there is a lot of uh, stereotyping. And I think even though to me, these girls seemed very out because I knew that they were dating each other and I would be in spaces where we would, I would hear them talking about it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that they were out to their family members or their community okay. or even the rest of the school. Um, was there anyone out in school? The only person who comes to mind, uh, there's I had one classmate who was a guy who was openly gay, um, who's also the first vegetarian I knew. So very influential person. <laughs> Rock your world. <laughs> Honestly, though. Like, <laughs> um, but I do think that, you know, he was known as the gay guy. Sure. You know, and I, I didn't consider him a close friend. He's someone that I was like comfortable around and mm -hmm. I would talk to. Um, my school is pretty big, uh, too. There's about 400 people in my class. Okay. In your, okay, man. But, um, yeah, it, it wasn't common and it wasn't something that was talked about favorably. Like, even when we would talk about, like, um, like Ellen DeGeneres or some, some, mm -hmm. some queer celebrity, ce queer celebrity, that part of the, about them being queer was not favorable. It was kind of like a hushed extra thing. So, yeah. Othered. Yeah. I othered. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Very othered. I've asked you to choose some music that yes. we're going to pepper throughout the conversation. The first song I've asked you to choose is a song um, that sort of reminds you of growing up. What have you chosen? So I chose uh, Please Don't Tell Her by Jason Mraz. Mm -hmm. um, so Jason Mraz is a pretty well-known global artist now, I think. Um, I would say over here. Not so much. Only I'm Yours, people know. Yes. I think Maybe I Won't Give Up, is that a song as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah. they were the only two hits here, I'd say. Um, but yeah, I'd say he's well known. But he's from my hometown, basically, oh, yeah, like okay. a small part of like I think Mechanicsville, Virginia, which was only about an hour away. Um, so that was really cool. And he is an openly bisexual man, which mm -hmm. is cool. Um, but I think I gravitated to his music because it was kind of like um, relaxing and meditative for me. It was mm -hmm. very grounding to listen to. And I think when he was singing about women, like at the time, I think I liked a lot of male artists because they were singing about like she and her pronouns. Because I don't She was the girl with the broader shoulders But she would die before I crawled over them 
Okay, so you mentioned earlier that you moved around a lot. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. So growing up, um, I lived in the same general suburban area of Richmond, mm-hmm. Virginia. We just moved a couple of times. But after I left, like after I graduated high school, I went away for college and then I moved to Washington, D.C. for work. And then I moved to Florida and then I moved to North Carolina. So I've lived in a fair amount of the, the East Coast. What did you do in college? In college, I studied uh, writing and communication. And okay. um, it's one of those things where I kind of chose a major and just stuck with it. I think if I had had a bit more time, I probably would have explored some some other things. But I actually really, really enjoyed the faculty, like the, the teaching style of the communication program. Mm-hmm. And one of my like most memorable professors was a gay man. And it's the first time that I learned about things like um, being intersexed or mm. um, just queer issues in general is is just very much part of our curriculum, which was really cool. And I think that's some of the first exposure I had to like queer history. And mm-hmm. we just kind of built it into the curriculum. It wasn't supposed to be a queer class necessarily. So other than this lecture, and you mentioned two queer sort of mentors, yes. uh, you know, queer adjacent mentors, was was university was college a more open place? Absolutely, compared to my high school, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would still say. It wasn't, um, like, I think there are universities that were around me that were even more, like, pride-oriented mm-hmm. and just had kind of bigger queer population or more visible queer population. But we definitely had, um, like, social groups on campus and we would recognize, like, pride. And, yeah, it's the first time that I felt comfortable, like, openly identifying as bi and just knowing other people and, and seeing their their lives. And it wasn't this kind of hushed part about them mm-hmm. it was something that they like embraced what do you remember about the first time that you openly identified as bi i mean it's hard like because i was coming out like piece by piece to different of groups of people yeah. um, and we never stop <laughs> right right um i think it felt really like a sigh of relief and it also felt really empowering to feel to see that i was still accepted mm-hmm. um i also though had some really negative experience with friends who basically said, well, I don't think you are, or like, like it was very invalidating, Mm -hmm. um, straight friends, obviously. Um, but yeah, the first time that I felt like just comfortable and out, um, yeah, probably with some of the people that I worked with, uh, like I was really close with the different jobs I had, those staffs. After university, is it? Within university. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked in, um, like, residence life and orientation and different like student groups so i would have like pretty late night shifts usually with one or two other people and we just got to be really good friends which was nice but yeah had you hooked up with women prior to confirming your sexuality or had you just been around enough that you were like actually this is definitely me yeah no like it was definitely um it's when i just kind of made the connection i think i I had a mutual crush on a girl in my class and Mm -hmm. we were trying to figure out how we were going to explore it and if we were going to explore it i was i had a boyfriend at the time and it was very much like um i felt a lot of social pressure to continue this relationship and he was comfortable with me being bi but not exploring dating other people um so yeah it was more of just i realized that i was having romantic feelings that in hindsight i had never had before because Mm -hmm. i don't actually experience romantic attraction to men i just had thought i did or i tried to um so yeah it was undeniable feelings for her and then um i think just as i started to hear other women share their stories 
it just it felt relatable in a way that nothing had felt relatable in terms of sexuality or romantic stuff mm-hmm. before yeah it's not i think about that that like a uh, compact that like compulsory heteronormativity yes. where we fall into these trajectories because it's kind of the, quote the thing to do rather than because it's what our desires are yeah it, it didn't feel optional for me to be gay and and like because okay. um, even around that same time when i was 19 i thought about coming out to my parents mm-hmm. and i had um this gay fine by me t-shirt which was a big thing that um i don't even know what pride group was doing that but it's something okay. a lot of people had on campus and um i wore it home was it that was a gay question mark yes. fine by me yeah exclamation it's, it's, point <laughs> it's supposed to signal that you are a safe person yeah, sure. for people who are gay to like yeah. be accepted by but I wore it home and my mom's first comment was, I'm not comfortable with you wearing that shirt because someone might see it and think that you're gay. And I was planning to use this opportunity okay. to come out and I just shut down. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was all around the same time. I think I was about 19. Okay. Is there a place, we'll pause on Ireland for a bit, but like, is was there a place in America that you moved to that you felt the most at comfort with yourself and your sexuality? Ironically... At the time, Florida. Okay. <laughs> I would not recommend that any gay person moves to Florida. But um, when I lived in Florida, I had a friend. Where did you live? Um, I lived in Tallahassee, oh, which yeah. is kind of in the northern it's in the part. the Panhandle, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's also, um, it's a college town. It's where the capital is. So, and at the time, it was a fairly liberal area. Okay. Um, but I had a friend who was trans and was in the process of transitioning. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it it was hard and I can't speak to their experience personally, but it was allowed and it was accepted. Mm-hmm. And um, I think just very different than even a few years later. And yeah, I just knew other people who were bisexual. So I think that's the first time that I really just felt like I would go to pride and I felt out for the first time and yeah. feeling like an ally. Okay. When did you decide to leave America? It was a slow process for me. I, Moved here in 2020, uh-huh. um, but my platonic partner had been really um, unhappy with his job, and I actually found a job in Dublin that he applied for and got immediately. So he moved in 2019, okay. and so sorry, just pause on platonic partner. Yeah. Is this the same boyfriend from before? No. Okay. It's confusing because they have very similar names. Okay. Well, we don't need to say <laughs> the name, but it's a separate boyfriend. But this was a. Like an asexual relationship? I mean, platonic relationship, you say? So I started dating someone in graduate school. Uh-huh. Um, and at the time, I would describe it as a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. But we realized later that we both didn't have romantic attraction to each other. We just wanted to be partners, teammates, life partners okay. kind of things. So we... So no sexual attraction, I think. Mm, okay no. all right okay that's <laughs> nope. don't and, jump to a conclusion scheme <laughs> i think at that time i was still very much trying to fit into the um compet cis environment that i was in and all most of my friends were getting married in their mm-hmm. late 20s and i had partnered with this person we were living in florida we felt family pressure to get married so we did Okay. Yeah. So we got married and I think had this kind of mutual understanding of what we were doing and that it was different, but we didn't have the label of platonic partnership at the time. Okay. Um, Yeah. So he's been in my life for 10 years now and we are still legally married and we are platonically partnered. Um, But yeah, so he had moved. And I guess poly 
amorous by definition, I suppose? Great question. So this is something we've been working out for a while. Um, I would describe it as polyamorous because my girlfriend, who is my romantic partner, and I have my platonic partner, who I'm married to, Mm -hmm. and they are also like very good friends. I imagine in the future, we will probably have a three or four adult partner household. Okay. But I will only have one like romantic and sexual partner. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, my platonic partner identifies as biromantic and asexual. So he experiences attraction to men, women, non-binary people, but he's asexual. So, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, for I mean, we could talk about this for an hour. Probably. (laughs) We're actually, we are probably going to be writing, we're um, probably going to be doing a podcast about our whole history because we started to kind of, we were cataloging it for ourselves and then we're like, this is something that people seem curious about. Okay, so he came to Ireland in 2019. Yes. um, And then you filmed him over in 2020. Yes. Basically, as the world was beginning to lock down, I was kind of... I've been dragging my feet for a while about if I wanted to move and when I was going to move. And it just felt like kind of a now or never time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I moved here February 29th, 2020, two weeks before lockdown. <laughs> Great time to move to a new country where you know well, no look, it's one. a baptism of fire, right? <laughs> Honestly. So you lived with him? Yes. And I mean, that was really challenging because we had lived together for years before in different uh, states around the U.S., mm-hmm. We'd also been long distance before, but going from living very independent lives where we had been living in different countries for, I don't know, eight months, Mm -hmm. and then being in a lockdown situation in a small apartment. um, Yeah, it was was so different. It was challenging. So long distance, asexual, aromantic, platonic relationship. Do you use the word husband? I don't anymore. I say platonic partner, partner, spouse. Um, moving here, I use spouse a lot. I guess that's more um, a gender. Yeah. How do feelings like loneliness, jealousy, you know, that one can experience without their partner or when their partner is further away, like, did those feelings manifest even if they're, if it's just a platonic relationship? So for me, I was at a point where I had gone through a really difficult past few years. Um, my dad had passed away really suddenly. Okay, I'm sorry to hear. And I had just kind of found this really good community mm-hmm. in the city that I had, was living in. So this I, is North Carolina. Though, yes, is yeah, this yeah. is in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Probably my favorite city. Okay. <laughs> Not really. Is it a city? <laughs> Not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a place that was very like grounding, connecting to me. So I was very happy and settled there and not eager to move. I think it was incredibly brave uh, for my partner to like move to mm-hmm. a country where he didn't know anyone. And I did like worry about him, you know, meeting people and kind of establishing that. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was lonely. Like I had really good um, connections set up at the time and we would talk all the time. Like we had had um, periods before like he was teaching in China and I was in the States and we mm-hmm. would still, you know, video chat every day. It was a very like. I don't know. I think it's just something that we had established yeah. before. It's yeah. a pattern in your relationship, right? Exactly. The only place you would have come is Ireland, I suppose, because you were following him. Is that fair to say? When you were leaving the US? Or did you always want to leave the US? I think I always wanted okay. to leave the US. Yeah, I think that, you know, it had always been a hope of mine mm-hmm. that I would live abroad. I think it's something that I imagined doing temporarily um, instead of a permanent move, where I feel like now I'm very comfortable with the idea of this being a permanent move. 
Um, but yeah, it was something that I was always interested in. I had done a few trips abroad and met people who lived in different places and just felt like it was a next step, something that I wanted to do. And I had never visited Ireland before, mm-hmm. but it was definitely somewhere that I would consider because it was not too far away in terms of time zones. If I was still working in the States, it's an English speaking country. Mm-hmm. Like it, it seemed, um, approachable where my partner would have moved to like shanghai if he could he loved it i i okay. was more reserved i think and okay so w- what drew him here just job opportunities uh? literally the yeah. job opportunity yeah it, it's um it happened really fast like he applied for a job had the interview flew over and had the job within a week okay so um yeah that was the impetus and only reason i think what was your memory of your first day here my first day here I, let's see, I probably landed at like five o'clock in the morning. So I was very exhausted and very like overwhelmed. Which is like what, midnight, two in the morning. Right. Had, midnight. Hadn't slept. Yeah. About mid- and I arrived here and my bags were gone. They were lost. <laughs> but I mean, so I, I, well, I had one. So I was like dragging this one very heavy bag over to like notify, you know, that I had lost baggage and the people who were working were so happy to be awake at 5 a.m. and they were so nice to me and I was trying to figure out like my address and everything and they were just like oh this this shop that I go to the run hub is near this and oh you'll love this like basically giving me a welcome it was so lovely I don't think I appreciated it fully because I was just kind of half asleep and trying to find my bag yeah but um so I got out of the airport. Sorry, this is longer than it needs to be for the no first problem. day. I remember going for a walk by the canal and just trying to acclimate for like where, you know, my apartment was and made a list of things that I wanted to make it feel more like home because mm-hmm. my stuff wasn't here yet. It felt very like bare bones. Um, and where, where in Dublin were you living at that point? Ashtown, which oh, yeah. is kind of yeah nice because it's close to town, but yeah. it's, it's also very like... And that's where your platonic partner was based. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's have another song. This time I've asked you to choose a song by an LGBT artist uh, that you like. Let me know what you have chosen. So this is Emily Sanday, You Are Not Alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of new to discovering Emily Sanday, but she's an amazing queer artist. And I think this song kind of feels like a, a queer anthem for um, finding your community mm-hmm. and feeling settled um, with new with new things. Yeah, she's definitely seen as somebody who has uh, suffered under being shoved into the closet by mainstream music and has now found kind of like her own comfort in coming out and her own audience and stuff like that. So, nice choice. It doesn't make you sick when truth is So you have arrived in Ireland, we're living in Dublin. How long did you think it took you to get settled here? And, uh, you know, what were what was holding you back from being settled, do you think? I think because this was two weeks before... Oh, okay, so, the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> pandemic <laughs> is the answer to both those questions. <laughs> I think ev- everything was way more difficult than I imagined because there was this looming lockdown. So within the first couple of days that I was here, um, I was in an Aldi just trying to buy a couple of 
uh, things for the for the apartment, and their announcement came in that they were going to be moving into a lockdown situation. So I remember carrying this massive rug like in the wind and the rain because I didn't want to not have a chance to have a rug in my apartment. <laughs> it was like it's your feet get cold on the on the wooden yeah, floors. <laughs> I think I knew I was setting up like a cozy cocooning space for mm. what I thought would be you know a few weeks of lockdown. Well, I didn't really know, but um. Yeah, I I just remember trying to brace and prepare for that and mm-hmm. not really have like I, I wasn't doing I, I I thought I was gonna like find a gym and you know start meeting people and I did, but it was the priority was setting up the the space. So I guess like don't we typically ask like, you know, how did you find the queer community and stuff? But I guess you had a long time to wait because queer spaces weren't even open until end of summer twenty twenty. Yeah, so I was actually, I was really lucky in that I went on to Meetup and I joined a bunch of queer meetups. Okay. And some of them are hosting virtual events. Okay. So that is how I initially met people. Um, okay. I went to like a variety of Zooms that seemed so innovative <laughs> at the time. I went to a variety of Zooms <laughs> from the same seat in my <laughs> Honestly, but you know, some of them were... Um, had like topics or it was a game night or mm. we even did like a um meadery tasting where they shipped the like the company oh nice yeah so it was, it felt like i was making the best of the situation mm-hmm. and i and i do have friends now that i initially met on zoom which is really funny yeah to me. so how have you found integrating with the queer community in dublin like have they been welcoming what's different than your experience in the u.s yeah so i think the cool thing for me is that when I was in the U.S., um, I wasn't actively seeking out queer community. I was okay. coming out to friends who I already had, and I met some people through work, or I met some people. But when I moved to Dublin, I was just out, like, as a lesbian, and I didn't feel like I was having to go through this kind of discomfort of breaking the news. I was just showing up at queer events as a queer person, mm-hmm. which was incredibly liberating and comfortable like after I did that a couple of times it was just it made me realize how much I hadn't really been out before at what point did you rebrand from was that still in America when you went when you decided to relabel as lesbian um no I think it was after I moved here so yeah like not to I I guess the short version is I was talking with a friend back home Mm -hmm. about my sexuality and trying to figure things out and in typical lesbian fashion, having these these Zooms and conversations, we ended up realizing we wanted to date each other. Uh-huh. So then I had a long-distance girlfriend in America for a while. And um, she really helped me kind of embrace the lesbian label, I think. So I was living here. I was going back and forth. That was like... So it was a bit of late 2020 then when... Late 2020, when the airports opened. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The difference here is more how you've approached things rather than you found much difference with the people. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I I think I have a really biased perspective because almost everything that I do is within an LGBTQ community. Like my mm-hmm. work is for a queer organization mm-hmm. and I did an Irish dance class that was exclusively queer and okay. all of, like all of my social circles are gay, which is amazing. But I think I, I, that was not the case when I lived in the States. So to me, Ireland is just this incredibly 
queer friendly space um, that I only occasionally step out of and realize that isn't necessarily the case. Okay. Do you feel safer here than you did in Tallahassee or the town in North Carolina? Who's name I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I lived in Washington, D.C., Richmond, Virginia, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I would say right now I feel safer in Ireland than I do. Like even when I go back and yeah. I wear like my trans rights or human rights t-shirt, mm-hmm. I am more on edge. I'm I'm more afraid to go into a gay space um, okay. in the States. So yes, um, I have had a couple of instances here where I felt unsafe. Okay. Um, and I think probably a comparable feeling, but the difference is like I don't think anyone here I don't suspect anyone's like carrying a weapon. So uh-huh. it's a it's a less intense fear. Overall, yes, but there have been exceptions. It's not perfect. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, hundred percent. What has it been like to watch the recent sort of dying back of the clock, I suppose you could mm-hmm. call it, in the US while you're not there to a, be victim of it, but B, not to kind of protest against it. It's been really, really hard, um, especially because like part of what I do for work is scan headlines. Yeah. And sometimes I realize that something pretty substantial has happened and I you know, didn't know about it until I was reading okay. that. Um, and it does feel personal because I do have friends who are trans in the US and yeah. I feel very protective of them and, and nervous for them. Um yeah, I, I think the the hardest thing is just how abruptly things changed. Because like I said, from when I was living in Florida, even in, you know, 2015, it was a really, really different landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's just, it feels like a constant barrage of anti-trans legislation, especially. Mm, especially Florida is a great example yes. of, you know, how, how about things in your hometown? Have you heard much change for better, for worse there? I think, like, I, I do know a few people who are very visibly out loud and mm-hmm. proud. Um, I guess my hometown being outside of Richmond, Virginia. Um, I think I haven't heard of specific like attacks in that area for that community, but the whole, like the environment just feels more hostile and it, it is different. Like I was just home a couple of weeks ago and it was just, it could, it changed so much. Like I walked into one department store and every employee had on a queer pride shirt and how to be a good ally on the back. And it blew me away. Like I didn't yeah. expect to see that. And it was really nice. And then I go into other places and I just feel this kind of overt like discomfort like it's loudly not pride month and you know so trying to drill down into the the emotion of you know whenever there's a new headline about some what is it like there's there's only four states now that are not prohibitive of trans rights in any way like what is the emotion is it is it anger is it helplessness is it embarrassment I think helplessness is the primary emotion that I have. It feels very defeating and it feels very much like what's the next step? Because like I saw, um, you know, during a drag story hour recently that there were people literally giving Nazi salutes outside and we just kind of skimmed through this like, oh, this is another, you know, fortunately the event was able to go on and it, it was okay, but it just it's it's horrifying and it's normal it's becoming more and more normalized so i i do feel like other than voting which i continue to vote and you know checking in and being a supportive person for the people that i know it does feel pretty helpless um 
I do look for, you know, there are a lot of like young activists. There are a lot of good things that are happening. Um, like I saw there was a uh, trans prom that was organized in Washington, D.C. recently. And it, what, it was very cute. And there were like parents there who are part of trans networks and like, you know, people loudly and proudly showing up. And I know there was like a drag march on Easter Sunday and some like churches attended in California because this was the priority. So like that kind of stuff is encouraging, but I feel like I'm just kind of always bracing for the next bad thing and it feels hopeless. Something that must be helpful is to have your platonic partner here with you because at least you have somebody who you've shared part of your life with over there that you kind of, you know, gets it. Yes, Absolutely. And I, and I do feel, I guess, embarrassed on behalf of America. I also feel like it's really not fair that I was able to leave um, because I wasn't one of the most unsafe or most targeted people. You know, I carry a lot of privilege being cis, being white. And um, yeah, I think I feel a lot of guilt too. And I know he shares that feeling. Back to here. Do you have any constructive criticism you know, a feedback form so to speak on Dublin and what we could be doing to make people who come from abroad feel more welcome especially queer people I mean I, I think queer people is such a big umbrella mm-hmm. label so like for me and my experience for the most part I felt really welcomed and safe and okay um I know that has not been the, the same for friends who are trans. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a friend from the U.S. who moved here and lived here for two years and then moved back because even though it's really hard to be trans in the States, it was really, really hard here for her personally. Okay. Um, was it socially or was it more like um, what's the word, like policy-based? That was her frustration. Um, I think it was both. I think okay. healthcare was a big one. It was a lot more difficult for her to um, access the, the healthcare that she needed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also, you know, this was during lockdown time. So there okay. were many times when she was walking back to her apartment and, you know, she a group didn't of... feel safe. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, had been young people throwing things at her, saying slurs at her, and you just never know when it's going to happen. Like she could have three days where everything was fine and then, you know, one bad thing happens and it's it's just, it okay. felt really isolating, I think. Okay. Wow. That's, that's uh Difficult to hear. Do you see yourself here long term, do you think? As it sounds right now, obviously you're you're entitled to change your mind. Yeah. Um, I do. And that's a fairly recent development. Like when I decided to move here, I thought it would probably be for two to three years. Like that's just the time frame that I had Mm -hmm. in my mind. And at the time, my platonic partner was on like a three-year contract. So it just, it seemed like that would probably be the case. Um, he has since accepted a permanent position and plans to at least stay in Europe forever. Yeah. Um, I definitely see myself here for the next five to 10 years. Um, yeah, it, it, it feels like home. Like I, within the past year, I've established some really, um, deep friendships, my relationship with my girlfriend, just good connections with like work. Like I, I feel like part of the community, which I didn't for the first, um, nearly two years that I was here. So now, yeah, I feel good and settled. Thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to finish off with a song uh, that is from an Irish artist that you have either knew the whole time or just so maybe something that reminds you of Ireland thus far. What have you chosen? Um, I've chosen Hearts and Minds by the Pillow Queens. Uh, Pillow Queens are just one the first Irish band that I discovered made up completely of queer women so cool i think it was especially weird and cool for me to go from listening to their music like during the pandemic Uh getting to see them live and then just seeing somebody walk down the street or like be in street 66 it's i was gonna say dublin is small (laughs) i'm sure you've seen them right 
<laughs> really, really cool. And yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, look, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. Thanks again to Nicole for speaking to us on the show and being so honest with her story and her personal life and her relationship. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do too. Thank you so much for supporting the show in whatever way you did, either by listening or sharing on social media. I feel really privileged to be able to share these stories with you and I'm glad that you were able to listen and get something out of them too. At the end of season one, I spoke a bit about how these stories made me realise that people around the world are watching us here in Ireland and how important it is for us to use that to create an Ireland that we're proud of. This time, although that point still stands, we're kind of two years on from the first time I made the show and the world has definitely changed since then. And the kind of Ireland that we are today feels in more peril than it was back in 2021. Amount of hate crime is increasing. There's been several deaths of LGBTQ people who are targeted specifically because of that. And although we still are steeped in a lot of privilege hearing these stories and why people feel so much safer here in Ireland, etc. We can't be complacent because complacency is the enemy of success and progress. So this whole season reminded me that we still need to strive for progress. Not just for us, but for everyone else who needs it. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.